Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Maggie Craddock. Maggie is a veteran executive coach known for her work with Fortune 500 CEOs and senior management. She's also a certified therapist and the author of three books, The Authentic Career, Power Genes, and her latest, Lifeboat, Navigating Unexpected Career Change and Disruption. Welcome to the podcast, Maggie. I'm delighted to have you here. Well, thank you, Ursula. I'm delighted to be here. So um, I really was intrigued by your book because it explains my own corporate experience so well. And, uh, but I also see aspects of, of what you call big ship thinking in other organizations I've been involved with. So I, I, one aspect of it that I'd really like to explore with you a little bit is this big ship mindset and the, how it leads to flawed decision making. So can you tell us what the big ship mindset is and, and how it has that outcome? Well, absolutely. And what a wonderful question to start with, Ursula. Um, we're, you know, throughout the book, we use the Titanic as a metaphor for how survivors, people from, you know, any situation in life can deal with unexpected change and disruption. And so one way I talk about it is I use this metaphor of how people made the shift from what I refer to as the big shift mindset, right, which is the mindset that everybody had when they stepped onto the Titanic to the transformative process of shifting to the lifeboat mindset. So Mm -hmm. the big ship mindset, interestingly enough, is not about the size of an organization per se, right? It's about um, um, a mindset that's rooted in old norms. It's about Mm -hmm. a mindset that's rooted in what may have worked in the past and sort of stretching that to its optimistic limit. Because of course, when you take a step back, from the arc of the Titanic story, you realize that many of the things that took that ship down started before it ever left port, you know? Yeah, and you you gave some really great examples of some catastrophic businesses that went down with this kind of thinking like Enron and the Madoff. Oh, absolutely. Well, well, throughout it, what we see is this mindset where if it worked in the past, we're going to stretch it to the limit. Right. And just like the builders of the Titanic, we see you know, some organizations cost-cutting, sweeping things under the rug. And the impact we see on people, Ursula, is that they sort of internalize this idea of always playing their part right? Mm -hmm. And not seeing red flags and suppressing feelings that, you know, don't really fit in with what they're supposed to be doing in their role. And always staying busy, stay busy all the time, want to add as much value as you can to the company and faster is better. And, you know, when you think about the big ship mindset, the Titanic was moving through those icy waters of the Atlantic a lot more quickly than it needed to for that type of a witch, right? Right. Mm-hmm. This was about impression management. And I think we know in our lives, if we're moving too quickly, that we're missing things that, that are going on with our loved ones, our customers, what have you, we're moving too fast. And then, and then when you just stop people for a minute, 
with all the change going on around us in the, in, in the workplace with our family's health and politics, you name it, you know, and you think, okay, so what is this lifeboat mind shift? What, what do people mean by changing your whole mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you picture people who one minute knew what they were doing on this giant ship that the press had heralded as unsinkable, right? right. Mm-hmm. And, and before they know it, they're huddled together in these tiny watercraft in the freezing <laughs> dark waters of the Atlantic. They don't know each other and they're fighting right. for their lives. Yeah. And the thing that I think typifies what I talk about with a lifeboat mindset, Ursula, is it's a mindset that's rooted in a situation where you have more questions than answers. That's where I think a lot of people are today. They're asking questions like, you know, how long will this last? How bad will right. this get? Yeah. And, and in that kind of situation, you want people to be present at a very human level in the moment, right? As opposed to just playing a role. You want people to take those strategic pauses under pressure as opposed to just rushing around. And of course, and I think this goes to something that you and I will probably both agree on for a lot of reasons and can talk about all day. It goes to a mindset where you learn to align your thoughts, your feelings, and your intentions in the present moment and do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. Because you can't think your way through a situation where you're constantly dealing with the unknown. Well, and I love that description from your book. I was actually going to ask you about that. What you, uh, in the book you said, and this is, this is Lifeboat, Navigating Unexpected Career Change and Disruption. And... Um, In the book, you said intentions, behavior, and values of individuals and of the group become aligned in service of their common goal. And that's actually quite a lovely definition for impact as well. So really like that you worded it that way. Well, and I think that um, one thing that it's really important for people to bear in mind um, in an environment where our job security, our financial security, so many things are sort of up in the air right now. Mm-hmm. is that this idea of um, aligning yourself with an organization that reinforces your core values, we talk about this a lot in the book, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not just a nice thing to say, right? It's the kind of thing people are going to nod and go, yeah, of course, right? Mm-hmm. But, it, but it actually really matters because the group energy of the workplace where you, you know, participate, even if you're participating remotely and you're just hooking into that energy all the time, is going to impact your sense of self, the range of career options you're able to envision for yourself, your values, your the pace at which you lead your life when you close that computer and interact with people in your personal life. It will impact your quality of being at almost every single level. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as you know, when we go through the book, we have a series of questions that they asked on the Titanic that we might very well be asking today because at a human level, they're kind of timeless, you know, yeah. things like, is this ship safe? Right. And mm-hmm. people boarded the Titanic because, again, you know, the press had heralded this in a way that was 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 misinterpreted by many. Right. And the myth is that being on a big ship means safety and stability. And a lot of people are looking for that in a, in an organization. Absolutely. And, you know, um, as, as you've probably noted from, from digging around in, in Lifeboat or, you know, maybe on my website or some of my other work, I am a, a lover of quotes. If you write a book, <laughs> you, you love to read them. You know, right. I mean, really, right. someday when my tombstone comes, I decided I'd slow down because they're not going to say she missed one, you know? <laughs> But one of my favorite quotes is from Helen Keller, who talks about the fact that there's, you know, security is kind of an illusion, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And so this idea that um, 
being uh, sort of associated with or affiliated with a very large organization, is that going to help? Well, you know, not necessarily. There's a lot of myths. There's a lot of things that we know people need to let go of that we talk about in Lifeboat. That's one of them. The idea that in an uncertain situation, you should just know what you want to do. Well, of course not. You can't, right? You're you're facing the unknown. You've got to have confidence in your decision-making process. Well, and you're under stress and other people are there with their opinions and, yeah. Absolutely. And, And what we even call work in this kind of environment is something that we really need to examine our beliefs around mm-hmm. because many things families are doing to pull together here. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm telling people we're in an environment where who does the laundry and who thinks about the details of a leverage buyout are almost even Steven when you're working from home, particularly <laughs> when we're balancing kids, right? It's right. all work. Sure. Mm-hmm. And we all need to pull together at a very human level to support each other. It's an extraordinary time. Yeah, for sure. Well, something I was very struck by in the book, and you keep coming pa- back to this, is this sense of losing touch with yourself. And I know from experience that certainly happened to me in the corporate environment I was in, but it's not limited to that. It can happen to entrepreneurs as well when you're trying to build a company and you're dealing with the issues, you can really lose track of what's important to you. And um, I think that's a, a really important aspect of what you talk about in the book of, of uh, finding ways to get back in touch with yourself. Are there, can you, can you talk a little more about that? And Oh, I, I'd be happy to. And, and just to, you know, to back it up with examples that, you know, Ursula, I, I think you and I probably encounter all the time. I, I will have people call me up uh, from a coaching perspective and they'll say, oh my gosh, Maggie, I can't believe that happened. That wasn't me. They'll say, mm-hmm. I just did something and it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. So maybe they blurted out something on national television they desperately wish they could take back, right? right or right. They, they, they hung up on a Zoom call with their staff because they were so frustrated and now mm-hmm. everybody's on pins and needles wondering when they're going to get back on and what happens next. And they're, they're really distressed and they're like, well, this isn't me. And my answer is, well, yes, in, in fact, it was you, right? Yeah. This is sometimes what, we would, what I like to refer to as a lifeboat learning moment just because of this methodology. And, and we teach people all the time the importance of taking a strategic pause. And here's why and here's how, okay? Mm-hmm. The, the why is um, the skills that we need to navigate unexpected change and, and situations where we're dealing with extraordinary pressure are not the same skills we need when it's business as usual. Mm. Because when it's business as usual, most people are pretty objective, um, maybe even strategic in their thought process, right? Mm -hmm. But under pressure, you've got the black and white thinking, the judgment, the tendency to view things in polarized ways. I mean, we see it all the time, not just in the business world, right? Mm -hmm. So that has to be balanced and centered. And then the issue that comes up all the time in the lifeboat process is the interplay of thoughts and feelings. Because as you may recall in the book, I talk about it's not exactly how we think, it's not exactly how we feel, it's how these two things work together in that inner alignment, right? So again, when things are relatively normal, uh, most of us can deal with, you know, a slight, a misunderstanding or something that really triggers us emotionally and we can still stay focused and keep that game face going. But under pressure, 
this stuff builds up. This is what we talk about as the inner iceberg in the book, right? Mm -hmm. It taps into our emotional memories. It takes us out of the present moment. So we're either projecting what's going to go wrong in the future or looking at the past and not wanting to lose something we've had or what have you. But whatever's mm -hmm. going on, adrenaline starts flooding the system. And people are prone to lose access to the common sense and logic we know they've got mm. under better circumstances. I know in, in a previous book you talked about um, how uh, we sort of revert to the family dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I, that's probably a default that we all have that we may have conditioned ourselves out of. But it, it can be a, a default that you fall back into. And not every family dynamic is healthy. Well, absolutely. And um, there, there are two previous books that kind of tap into this. One of them is Power Genes that I wrote for Harvard. And one of them is The Authentic Career that was also put out by New World Library some time ago. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm a firm believer in the fact that it's both nature and nurture. And, and trying to separate the threads isn't really constructive. What's helpful is just to understand what's going on so that we can act in our own you know, best interests under pressure. But the things that trigger us emotionally may very well be related to the beliefs or the values that we internalized in the family system. And, and so when you think about this, what takes you out of a more balanced, even state and into one where you're running on emotion and you're high alert at, at an emotional level, what we're drawn to and what we're defensive around, right? Mm -hmm often have their roots in this early, early conditioning in the family because the caregivers in the family system were the first people who ever had power over us or ever modeled what those relational dynamics and the give and take of power actually look like. Mm. And so, you know, for some people, if you're not caring about the people around you, I mean, that's a, a trigger. For some people, if you're not succinct and direct enough, they get impatient with you, right? right. Mm -hmm. Some people are all about their, their, their self-image, looking like they're abundant and successful. Other people are about the greater good and thinking about a mission. And you know, So one size really doesn't fit all in terms of how we look at these dynamics, but it's vital to look at them because when you're under a lot of pressure on a lot of different levels, just like they were on those lifeboats in the Titanic and just like we are in our lives today as we're huddled in our homes or our bubbles or wherever we're huddling, right? Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is you need to understand what's underneath the surface of that inner iceberg of yours. You need to understand those, those thoughts and feelings that get suppressed because as you say, we, uh, we get separated from ourselves a little bit. Our relationship with ourselves breaks down if we're not listening to our own feelings right. and giving and, ourselves patience and compassion, right? And you lose touch with your, your own intuition because you're out of touch with yourself. Well, this you, is the case. Yeah. Many of the people I know who are absolutely loving and patient and caring dealing with their children their spouse, their neighbors, their staff can be really tough on themselves. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't feel this way. I should have the answer. I should have known that. Oh my goodness. You know, we just have to let go of so many shoulds in the process right. because we're under so much pressure right now or slow. We absolutely have to accept our feelings and give ourselves a break. This is going to be quite a journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I love that you brought that up. It gives us an opportunity to pause as you mm -hmm. recommend and really take a look at the situation and we're all under a certain level of stress because of well, the pandemic so and yeah. one more thing i'd like to say for your audience on this because i do think it's central and helpful is um pausing under pressure isn't easy 
Uh, we mm. talk about it a lot. It's, it's very, very difficult to do. People all yeah. the time are like, you know, Maggie, I tried to pause, I failed. If your listeners can just try spending 10 to 20 minutes a day going at half their normal speed mm. as they're going through their work day or cleaning out a sock drawer or making lunch for their kids, just try to move at half your normal speed, you'll start to build up those internal muscles around being present. And pausing is when you get emotionally triggered and everything in you wants to go on high alert with all that adrenaline and either, you know, chatter away nervously to fill an empty silence, right? Or do whatever you do in those moments when you're triggered. Mm -hmm. And pausing is about stop, take stock and look around. And when you start doing it in little ways, you get magnificent at it in big ways. Things like, should I hold on to my investments or should I leave them in the market? on a really volatile day. Mm -hmm. Should I hire this person? Should I hire that person? How do I feel? As you say with the intuition, Ursula, is this the right firm for me? What's the feel of the emotional energy of this firm and will it help me thrive? So mm -hmm. these are all things we need to tap into our intuition because answering them isn't, we don't have the full facts to answer them. We have yeah. to take an experienced leap of faith. Hmm. Well, do you think that, that the big ship mindset that you described, is that more often in certain industries or in organizations of a certain size? I know you have a background in financial services, so I, I just wondered from your perspective and from the clients you work with, are you seeing it more in certain realms or in certain sizes of, of business? You know, now here's the interesting thing. I'm actually seeing large multinational organizations where, where members of management teams are striving to embrace more of a lifeboat mindset. Mm -hmm. And I can think of a lot of local mom and pop stores that have that big ship mentality. And in the book, we invite, you know, readers to examine these Titanic questions and look at this from a bunch of different angles. Like somewhere in there, I think one of the questions is who can I trust in the crisis, right? Thanks. We talk about wanting to be able to trust yourself. But when we're looking at evaluating an organization, you, you really want to look uh, at an organization in such a way that you can assess whether or not senior management actually lives and operates by their values or just pays lip service to them, right? Yeah. Yeah. What's going on with resources? Are they mostly diverted to the personal needs of people at the top? Or is this something that's really invested in accordance with the mission and helping the organization move forward? There's a lot of things to look at. Uh, but most important, looking at things like um, how capable is this organization of evolving under pressure, right? Are they able to self-reflect and course correct? Things like this are absolutely critical when you're thinking, mm, should I stay in this job? Is it time to you know, jump on a lifeboat? Um, should I do something different? There's all sorts of things we need to look at to assess an organization and its potential to you know, help us reach our own destination in the course of our working years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, something you talk about in making the shift from a, a big ship to a lifeboat mentality is you, you say it takes self-awareness, soul searching, and a willingness to make sacrifices for others. And I'd love to explore that a bit more, especially the last one. Could you uh, delve into that? Well, absolutely. Because, you know, I, I talk a lot about making a shift from uh, what I refer to as the self-help mindset, which I think we've all been familiar with for decades, mm -hmm, right. <laughs> 
to the us help mindset. And and there's nothing really wrong with the self-help mindset. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that moniker grew from a time when people felt that they needed to focus on themselves because they were just so busy doing for others, they were running themselves ragged, right? Mm-hmm. But the self-help mindset, particularly when we're fearful, it's kind of natural. We're concerned about our own security and our own advancement. And we're thinking about things in terms of how they relate to the I, right? How's it impacting me? Kind of natural, but not necessarily constructive. Because when you think about what we're going through right now, there's so many things in the world that you cannot do alone. Yes. And when you think about survival, you just go to the lifeboat metaphor. You can't row a lifeboat through the icy waters of the Atlantic by yourself. You can't. You need the help of other human beings. Mm-hmm. Similarly, we're in an environment today where you and I could make a wonderful list of all the things we need other people for. But if we're going to zero in on professional advancement, one thing you can't do without another person is see things that you've trained yourself to minimize or ignore about your own behavior or within yourself. You aren't able to evolve and grow as effectively because most of us are really good at not knowing what we would prefer not to know about ourselves, right? <laughs> I mean, true. I'm great at it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what we talk about in the lifeboat process is we talk about exactly who you pick, what you do, and how you interact with others to so get something we call lifeboat feedback. And that's not feedback on what you should do with it, like who you should hire, how you should spend your budget or where you should work. It's literally feedback that you get from people that you think are uh, self-possessed enough to be emotionally honest and tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that feedback is really intended to tell you whether or not it sounds like you're being true to yourself under pressure. Because it's not the decisions we make that we need the feedback on, particularly when there's this much change coming this rapidly all Mm. the time. What we need is feedback on the confidence we have in our own decision-making process because we're just going to have to make so darn many choices, aren't we? Mm. So you pick people, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your best friend, maybe it's your next-door neighbor. You pick someone that you think you, well, that you know that you respect, but you think will be emotionally honest and straightforward with you. And you you start describing a challenge or a choice and you ask them things like, does it sound like I'm being emotionally honest with myself or do do you suspect that I might be suppressing feelings that make me uncomfortable that I don't want to deal with? That's a biggie for people, right? Right, yeah. Um, You know, does it sound like my motives are clear? And if my motives aren't clear, if they're kind of murky, uh, what do I need to clarify? Don't we wish that leaders all around the world would be, you know, assessing that question with a little bit more rigor, right? Yes. You know, uh, right? And, or if you're talking about a difficult situation or a person you're having a struggle with on the job, you have to say, uh, is my assessment of this person objective and fair? And if not, why not? Because that takes us back to what we were mentioning earlier, Ursula, about how the thinking and the feelings can get skewed under pressure. And when we get into that black and white thinking, you can be working with someone who just sort of vaguely reminds you of the sibling that you had problems with growing up and got into power struggles with. It could be an expression, a gesture, the way they look. And before you know it, if you're under enough pressure with enough adrenaline, you're suddenly not giving them the benefit of the doubt that they deserve. Takes takes you right back there. Doesn't it? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that uh, this applies to entrepreneurial leaders too. I I know your book is mainly focused on folks within organizations, but I think so many of the principles you talk about are really um, 
absolutely applicable to entrepreneurs. I mean, entrepreneurs can get into that ignore, deny, blame pattern just as easily as, as you know, the corporate leaders. Oh, well, you know, I, I don't know that this came up in this particular book. I've, I've written about it in a previous book, but we, we, I've dealt with a lot of entrepreneurs and sometimes people who have had corporate jobs and made that transition. So, you know, what we talk about in Lifeboat to a certain extent is the things people go through when they're assessing, do I need to do some internal work and be a little less thin-skinned and just sit here, right? Will this pass? Mm-hmm. Um, do I need to really take an objective look at, at retooling my skill set or, or going through my network carefully? Because is it possible that I can take some of the skills I've built up here, but do something a little bit transitional within my company, within my industry, what have you? And then oftentimes, and and I know you appreciate this from a coaching perspective as well, you get people that say, look, I've got nothing to lose. This is it. I'm going to do my own thing. Start my own business. Or I've had some clients that have had uh, really creative departures. They've they've become full-time artists or writers or all sorts Mm -hmm. of things like this. Yeah. And, and my advice at the personal level, the advice at the professional level is a lot about finances and managing, you know, uncertainty and all this sort of thing to keep a business going. But at the personal level, I'm always saying, let's make sure that what you're doing is enough of a lifetime dream that we know that it's something that your energy is drawn to. And you're not coming up with some kind of escapist fantasy like, you know, you just yeah. had this last weekend. And it's an escape. From a situation you don't want. And there are a lot of myths around being an entrepreneur that this somehow is going to magically solve everything. You still have yourself to deal with in that setting, uh, well, even more so. Well, you do. Now, the great advantage entrepreneurs have during COVID is that entrepreneurs are probably used to working from home and working more independently because even if, they, if they've managed to amass a very successful business, they usually started on the home front. Sure. So yeah. there's that sort of thing happening. But you still have to manage the weight of your time. And, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're juggling a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. When you're an entrepreneur, you're your own marketing department. (laughs) (laughs) That's often true. Staffing department. Sometimes sometimes in this environment, you're your own tech support, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It gets fun. Well, I'd love to explore the whole issue of leadership and how the, the lifeboat approach makes for, I think it makes for better leadership. And I, I know on your website, you talk about power style agility. And I, I wonder how that, does that connect with the lifeboat approach or, oh, or is that, that kind of a different topic? Oh, absolutely. I mean, all of these uh, topics that have come up in my books over the years, the authentic career power genes and now lifeboat, uh, come from a core methodology and sort of take it uh, in different sequential steps. So the first one, um, the authentic career was really about, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up, right? Right. Power genes goes to this issue of um, leadership and, and style diversity. And before I wrote that one for Harvard, I had had the, the opportunity to speak to people who were considered powerful leaders from all walks of life, right? Military leaders, spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, traders, all sorts of people. And, and I was looking at their different power styles and some, you know, 
commanding uh, respect and enforcing discipline is seen as very powerful in the military, right? In, inspiring mm -hmm. generosity and, and helping people rise to their better angels is considered very powerful in spiritual realms, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, being visionary and being able to uh, come up with pioneering ideas that will make the world better for people and investors is really important in the entrepreneurial front. We see all of this, right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to any style of leadership, the one thing that all power styles have in common, if you will, is that they're relational. Mm -hmm. They have to do with your relationship with yourself, your relationship with others, which is where we're coming through in Lifeboat, because it really comes through in terms of your ability to negotiate conflict in a way that fortifies your personal integrity rather than diminishing it, right? Mm -hmm. And then your relationship with, with organizations, which is also peppered through the Lifeboat uh, book because we talk a lot about aligning yourself with organizations that reinforce your core values and, if necessary, making a healthy break with those that don't. Mm -hmm. You can see there's a lot of reasons for that because the more the pressure heats up, the more being able to actually live by the values you espouse becomes challenging and the more, the more it matters, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the yeah. more it actually matters. But on Lifeboat itself, when we're speaking of leadership, there's a character on uh, Lifeboat number six I write a lot about called um, Molly Brown, the unsinkable Molly Brown or Margaret mm -hmm. Brown on that Lifeboat. Yeah. And she's kind of a gracefully aging grandmother, a civilian uh, traveling on the boat that was trying to get to the side of her sick grandchild. She gets thrown onto Lifeboat six at the last minute. And Lifeboat six is being uh, officially commanded by quartermaster Robert Hitchens. And Robert Hitchens from the story was the uh, gentleman unfortunate enough to have his hands on the wheel of the Titanic, right? As it is mm -hmm. barreling towards an iceberg at top speed. And because it's one of those situations of responsibility without authority and the chain of command sometimes, even though he was headed right for that iceberg and hearing the warnings, he couldn't turn the ship until he got the order from the superior officer and he didn't get it until the last minute. Then he turns the ship with all his might. As we know, that was too late and tragedy ensued, right? Mm -hmm. So he had a lot of emotional baggage getting on that lifeboat. Yeah. And he and just two other men were there with other, over 40 women uh, from the ship on that lifeboat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And he was breaking down at that point, Ursula. And I think you, you realize this from the book. He was talking about the fact that they were doomed. The women weren't strong enough to row. He wasn't going to help them row. All was lost. He was just, you know, really underperforming as a leader. Yeah, I would say so. He was, he was, right. there was a litany of this is never going to work for coming from him. And here's Margaret Brown. And she's just listening to all this and watching and watching people who were cold and need clothing. And she's giving them articles of clothing because she was in first class and she had fur and it was warm. She's listening to other women from first class get really feisty about how badly this is being handled because they're mm -hmm. used to people smoothing things over and Ursula, things were not going smoothly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then she gets this visionary idea, which is a great leadership quality. She, she realizes if she organizes the women to an oar, they're going to stay warm. They're going to survive. They're going to start to move. And then when Hitchens tries to shut her down, because even though he's underperforming, he doesn't want to lose that formal command. That's his role. Remember mm -hmm. the big ship thinking it's all about your role. Right. She manages to stand up. And this is probably a quality she didn't know she had. And she turns to Hitchens and says, if he doesn't knock it off and stop with the pessimism, they're going to throw him overboard. <laughs> and everyone on the lifeboat, like, gets behind her. And I, I, I say from a leadership perspective, 
that Margaret Brown didn't think her way to greatness. She wasn't looking for a military position Mm -hmm. or a naval position. She aligned her thoughts, her feelings, and her actions in the present moment, where she was, what she was feeling, what she thought she could do to help others moment by moment in a bunch of different ways. She had that inner alignment and greatness found her. Mm. And for leaders today, it's really important to remember, just like Margaret Brown, one size doesn't fit all, especially under this kind of pressure. Different people need different things to feel motivated, to feel like they belong, to feel like they're supported. And you have to look at this through the lens of a bunch of different power styles in order to be agile enough to lead effectively under pressure. Mm-hmm. Well, something you said in the Lifeboat book that I was very struck by is that you can't help other people until you learn to accept and trust yourself. And the example you just gave of Molly Brown, Margaret Brown, was really, she really trusted that this is what was needed in this moment and she just went with it. I, I also think too that it's it's vital for listeners to bear in mind that she wasn't just thinking about what was going on. She got on that lifeboat with a lot of other women and she was tapped emotionally into a sense of meaning. She wanted to live to see her grandson again before he passed. Sure. And she she connected with all those other women who wanted to live to see their children, their spouses, and other people yet another day. And I mm. think they they joined forces really and created this wave of group energy on that boat that was so powerful that it helped them beat the odds. When you, when you, um, well, when you read Lifeboat, and I hope your listeners do, it's clear that when the sun finally came up, they had survived unbelievably treacherous conditions in the dark. But when you read the book written in 1912 by Logan Marshall that I found when I was uh, cleaning out my parents' home after they passed away, it's been a story I've had a lifelong love affair with, you realize that it, it was incredible. They were floating in this tiny watercraft through an ice field with icebergs that were absolutely huge, that dwarfed the size of what they were doing. And somehow or other, they they survived this situation. So Mm -hmm. it's a real beat the odds thing, but it definitely shows you how when people unite with a sense of common purpose, they also bring strengths out of themselves they didn't know they had. Um, You were talking earlier about when you lose touch with your authentic self. Well, there's some clients, the the same people who call me up and say, you know, that wasn't me. I had someone call me up the other day and say, I was on a really tense management committee meeting. Everybody was really at each other's throats. And then somebody said something on that Zoom call that literally diffused the tension. Everybody kind of laughed and we got focused again. And Mm. it took me half a beat to realize that it was me. Uh, I was the one who came out with a great comment because people, when they learn to stop, and have a sense of humor and some acceptance about their own reactions, even if they feel envious or, or, or anxious, but they just are at peace with it the way they would be, you know, loving their own child. If they're accepting their own feelings in, a, in an understanding way, mm-hmm. they get much better yeah. at taking that pause and diffusing things with others as well, because we're not taking it all so personally. Yeah, absolutely. I, I You tell some really great stories in the book about, um, and I'm sorry, I've forgotten her name. There's a, a woman who was working with someone who was quite undermining and she managed to bring out her own leadership quality in a really positive way. So that was, oh, that was encouraging. To read. There, well, there's a couple of examples in the book on this, but absolutely because it, it, it tells readers, and these are true stories, 
about when you're in one of those situations where you feel that you've got a boss who's a little bit of a bully or who's sort of emotionally erasing people, you know, for their own agenda, right? Just not paying attention to other people. There are some important things you can do besides speak truth to power. You can be the force in the room that other people need. I mean, one of the first books is also a gentleman in the book, uh, I believe from the pharmaceuticals industry, who, um, who really, you know, deals with a very rogue CEO and manages to, uh, to help people in such a way that he really brings back their sense of hope and people unite together. And also there's a lot of leaders, uh, examples of leaders in the book that, that start out maybe more with a sense of arrogance. But as the pressure heats up, just like Captain Smith and the Titanic, who went down with the ship, unfortunately, but you know, in real life, they don't all have to go down. Right. Um, there are many leaders who, under pressure, actually evolve yeah. and become change agents and do things to support people that, that, that you know, can be absolutely startling, but of course, a tremendous relief. So I'm, I'm always reminding people, give themselves the benefit of the doubt and try to do this with other people too. When mm-hmm. people are under a lot of pressure, you can't take the full measure of someone until you've really assessed their capacity to evolve. Yeah. And, and sometimes people who rub you the wrong way initially can surprise you on that one. And Absolutely. their better angels come forward when they're least expected. So that's something to leave some room for. Yeah, that's a really great point. Well, uh, there's a couple of things I would love to ask b- before we uh, kind of wrap up the interview that I, I think is really interesting to hear about. And that is, how are you applying this in your own company? Because it's um, it, it's always interesting to me to hear about uh, people's leadership in their own in their own business and how that as uh, how you're applying what you're what you're doing with your clients within your business as well in well, terms of leadership. My husband and I work together. We both mm-hmm. do executive coaching and, and consulting and work with a, a wide variety of industries. And we've been working together for some time. So that that's a relatively that's straightforward thing. But I, I think what we're doing and what a lot of people are doing right now is I'm, I'm making sure in my own life that I am um, managing my time and energy in such a way that um, I really leave room to be present, to experience gratitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, to appreciate the simple things in life, you know, there's. I, I think we it's a we make a mistake, Ursula, when we um, minimize the amount of stress we're all under. Even if we're financially comfortable, we have enough to eat on the table. Our our children, God willing, are healthy. There's just a lot going on right now in a world where people are so polarized that there's so many topics that we can't really discuss without feeling like we're, you know, the Hatfields and McCoys to use an old (laughs) phrase on that one, right? Or at the very least entering a minefield. It's it's kind of exhausting. And so what I I do all the time is we wake up in the morning, uh, we we do uh, morning affirmations to make sure that we're focused on what's good in our day. Uh, Mm -hmm. We make sure that we take breaks and get exercise. Um, I always make sure that I check in with a couple of um, not not just uh, work colleagues, but close personal friends that I've known for a long time to make sure that I'm having that that human contact. And then we clock off at a reasonable hour at night, and and we make sure that we're appreciating the time we have to enjoy each other, right? That we're we're balancing um, our our creative pursuits, our love of spending time together, our time with our kids with our work and we're coming from a very human place because 
the way that this principle of lifeboat applies in our business is um, you really must, you're always balancing your transactional needs and relationships with a human connection. Mm. But when we're under this kind of uncertainty and this kind of stress, we prioritize the human piece. And I don't know about you, but I try on social media as well to make time for people who occasionally just reach out with an amazing story and say, listen, you know, I just need some perspective on something. And when mm. I can, I will devote time to that as well. Mm, right? That's great. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Maggie, I always wrap up, wrap up these interviews with a rapid round of three questions. Are you game? I'm game. Give it a, let's give it a whirl. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The first one is what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? About having impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is uh, while ideas matter, it's people who make things happen. And so it's very important to bear in mind um, uh, the way that you are interacting with people and how other people, not just what you're saying and how you come across, but how other people feel about themselves in your presence so that you can maximize the probability that you're able to not be lost in defensiveness, but come together and unify around supporting something that's an important idea or an important initiative. Yeah, so, so good. I, I, no one has impact alone, so it's, no. it's a super important point. People yeah. need people, yeah. Yes. Second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Well, you know, we have a, uh, we have a little sign in our kitchen. I guess some people just collect those little, little signs that come from, I don't know, Marshalls or a little, uh, <laughs> you know, greeting card stores. And ours says, learn from everything. Mm. And uh, whenever I'm hit with a challenge or something that's triggering me emotionally or what have you, the one thing I try to do when I take my strategic pause is ask myself, you know, what's the lesson here? Mm. And sometimes what's the relational lesson here? Because mm. often when we're, we're challenged, when we're fearful, when something comes across, there's, there's something we have to learn about our relationship with ourselves, Right. Mm-hmm. the way we respond to others under pressure or the way we see ourselves contributing to larger organizations or groups. So I always try to stop, take a breath and make sure that um, I'm clarifying whatever the lesson is. Mm, that's great. Well, the last question is what advice or insight would you share with another business owner who's asking themselves, how can I contribute more? How can I have impact? How can I bring that lifeboat approach? I guess, um, I guess what I would say to a business owner or to someone actually who probably same advice to somebody who's trying to navigate their career within an organization is um, you can have a good career, a good business if you're smart, but you're only going to have a great career if you're brave. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is it, it, it takes real courage to do the most important work we do in terms of establishing professional cultures, aligning our values, getting our careers on track. And that is looking within at where our ideas and beliefs come from, how we define success, what matters to us in life and why. And that's that pre-work about what values and emotional conditioning did you receive in the family system? How does this impact your sense of self, where you're confident, where you're less confident? All this pre-work is really important. Because if you don't do that pre-screening process in terms of an internal inventory, you can put a business plan together, you can put a personal plan together for your career. But if you were doing that from the perspective of a false self, 
you will get really good, particularly as, if you're smart, at accomplishing the feat of being who other people want you to be. And if yeah. that's where you are in your life and career, it doesn't matter how much money or how much headcount head or how much power. If you are going through the motions of being who other people want you to be, your boat is still going to be rocked and you're still going to have that something's missing feeling in your gut. Mm-hmm. If you are sure that you are clarifying your own decision-making process professionally and you've done the pre-work necessary to make sure you're coming from the vantage point of your authentic self, you find yourself engaging with your business and your career in such a way that on a good day, you know, when it's over, you end your day with more energy than you started with. Yeah. And that's how so, it's so meant true. to be. Yeah, that's so, so true. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for joining us here. Your perspectives are so helpful. I love the uh, big ship and lifeboat analogy because it really uh, brought home, along with the stories that you told in the book, just some wonderful ways that you can be more mindful about coming into your own and being in an authentic self as you're approaching uh, your work. So I uh, thank you so much for sharing all of that today. Well, Ursula, thank you so much for having me. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I do appreciate it. Oh, me too. Well, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? And where can they buy your book? (laughs) Oh, two lovely questions. Well, the first one is um, our website is workplacerelationships.com. So that's all one long string, no caps, no underlines, plural, Mm -hmm. workplacerelationships.com. You can also find the book there. You can find the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, any major bookseller uh, should should have it at this time. It was released on August the 4th. And um, also, if you follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, uh, you'll see things about the book and ways to link into the website, to the book, and to us. Great. Well, Maggie, thank you so much, and thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Oh, and thank you as well, Ursula. I, really, these are inspirational conversations. I know they're helping a lot of people, and I'm glad to take part in it. Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at workalchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on your favorite podcast app, or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page. <laughs>